Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 19th, the This Was Not in the Parenting Handbook edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Karen Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is six, and we reside in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 18, Teddy, who is a month away from being 17, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. Well, Dan can't join us this week, but we have Rebecca back. Yay. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me back on the show. I'm so glad to know I haven't been banished. (laughs) Thank you for coming back. We missed you. Have you missed us? I have. I have. I have to say I do um, enjoy having the time of the taping back in my life. <laughs> but in every other way, I do miss talking to you guys every week. So have me back anytime you need a, a pitch hitter. I'm always happy to join you. Aw, we appreciate that. Today on the show, we've got a question from a mother wondering if her daughter should transfer schools. Is it important for her to be among students who look like her? Can you tell from my tone of voice that I might have some thoughts about this one? (laughs) And from perhaps hearing the show before this week? We also have a question from a parent navigating childcare with a neighbor. Can you actually have a formal agreement between friends? Plus, we've got triumphs and fails and recommendations as we always do. So, Rebecca, are you returning to us triumphant (laughs) or with your head bowed in failure? I actually have a great triumph this week that was a total accident. I was perusing my computer the other day at work because I was trying to find an old audio clip from an old story that I produced way back when I was a producer on a radio talk show. And I knew that I had uploaded the audio to SoundCloud somewhere using some old ass account that I didn't even use anymore and didn't know what I had. So I did that thing where I like went to the website and I just kept logging in with all my email addresses. And it turns out I had like five SoundCloud accounts Mm -hmm. that I had started and stopped at various points in my professional life for different (laughs) projects. So I found an old SoundCloud account from 2012 and on it, uh, I found a bunch of audio files and among them were two audio files of my husband interviewing my kids about me. Um, And I actually pulled a little bit of tape and sent it to our producer, Rosemary, earlier today because I was hoping she could just play a little bit of it right now. Who is Rebecca LaVoy? First of all, she's my mom. She's nice. Um, She will let me stay up and watch TV and things like that. I get weekly allowances from her. She lets me do stuff. Tell me, who is Rebecca LaVoy? Well, she's my mother. And she's awesome. She's also my brother's mother. So that's a little so that's a little sample of the interview that my uh, husband apparently conducted with my kids 
way back in 2012. And I asked him about it. And he said, yeah, I have no idea why I did that. He didn't remember doing it. The kids didn't remember doing it. But each file is like 15 minutes long. And he asks them like, what are my good qualities? What are my bad qualities? And it is adorable. So I have a triumph only because I can confirm that way back in 2012, my kids both initially described me as awesome uh, before going on to describe all of my bad qualities as well as my good qualities. So that was pretty cool and like a real gift to stumble upon that this week. That is so cool. That's so sweet. I, I would love to see how that play out with my daughter. Um, <laughs> I, I have, I don't, it depends on the day of the week. <laughs> yeah, to catch her on her, <laughs> catch her in a good mood. That's very cute. So I don't have a triumph this week, unfortunately. I felt like I should have one. I think I did, and I just forgot to write it down. But the things that I wrote down were fails. But after last week, I had an epically bad fail. I felt that I should come in with something a little bit more positive this week. I will say that this one is not the worst fail by far. Um, so that's good. Uh, the bar for that is now very, 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 very low. Um, (laughs) so my daughter, Naima, and I were playing a game that she'd made up the other night, something with dominoes, and she was explaining the rules to me. And I said, all right, cool. And she said, oh, so no applause. No. Wow, Naima, (laughs) that's a really great game. I'm so proud of you. I mean, it's fine. And I said, well, Naima, it is a really great game. And I am proud of you. You're you're very smart. And you're always coming up with really creative ideas. And she said, oh, I'm not saying that you needed to say those things. It's just that you usually do. (laughs) And that was the moment that I realized that my daughter is passive aggressive. (laughs) And I know exactly where she got that from. There are no fingers that I can point anywhere else. And I, well, I say, I think her dad can be that way a little bit, too. And it's so funny. I was telling the story to my mother. And, and I said, well, you know, she got it from both of us. And my mom says, yeah, you know, I can be. I said, why do you think both of us refers to you? <laughs> I'm talking about her dad. <laughs> and so I have this week identified the source of both my daughter's uh, passive aggression and her narcissism. <laughs> So we're doing a bang-up job over here in L.A. Oh, goodness. Well, at least you know now. You have plenty of time to adjust. Absolutely. And we talked about it, you know, because I was just going to laugh it off. And I was like, no, there's nothing wrong with learning at almost seven what it means to be passive-aggressive and why you should avoid it. And I took responsibility for it. I said, this is something you've heard me do. So I'm not upset with you or saying you did something wrong. I'm just going to say that there's a better way to get what you wanted. So you wanted a compliment from mommy. You can say, how did you like my game? Or even, I just kind of need a little love or affirmation right now. You know, and the day she actually just says that, like, because I've been trying to just say, hey, I need a little love and affirmation. I've been trying this for a while. And the moment that she actually does it, that's going to be the triumph for the ages. I'll probably just throw down my microphone and walk out like you did, knowing that I've won parenting. I liked how she threw in the, uh, no, you don't have to say it now. I was just pointing it out because you usually do. You usually Ouch. do. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> she, she kept saying, no, no. I mean, no, please. I, no. Don't, you don't compliment have... me just because I said something. Right. Just just know that there's a standard that you have set that you fell short of today. <laughs> and be clear. Don't disappoint me again. Uh, okay so before we move on to reader questions let's handle a little business 
As you may know, Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our great parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, Karen feeding, and so much more. It's also a personal email from Dan every week where he decides what is good enough for you to take in and return. <laughs> <laughs> where, where parenting master and expert Dan Qua. Uh, <laughs> decides what you should be reading about this thing that you do every day. And I Let's think you be should real. Get... That's what it is. That's He's not exactly here, so we can is. just say it. Yeah, <laughs> it's Dan's faves. This week in Dan. And I still think you should subscribe for it because Dan is my editor and he helped hire me for this podcast. So good for you. <laughs> good for you, Dan. You make good choices. Sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Get the best of Dan in your inbox every week. Also, uh, speaking to Dan and about, check out our Facebook presence. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a fun community. We, mostly Dan, moderate it so things don't get out of control. And we're going to talk about Dan's book in the Facebook group. I haven't given us a date yet or a deadline, but I've purchased my copy. I hope you guys have copies of How to Be a Family and we're going to read it and we're going to talk about it in January and we're going to decide if Dan's book is good or not. And I'm very excited <laughs> about being the arbiter of his future now. <laughs> uh, in other business news, in Slate Plus today, we're going to be talking about how motherhood has changed in the past 10 years. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. When my kids were little and we used to have a play date and drink a glass of wine, like we wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> now, mm. now there's like merchandise around that. I was going to say, so. there's like t-shirts. That's definitely changed. To hear more segments like that and get ad-free versions of your favorite podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program. and It's a great way to support the work that we do. For only $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And in return, you get extended ad-free versions of this show and others, plus a ton of other great benefits. If you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, please, please, please do. Go to slate.com backslash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. And it's time for listener questions. All right, this question was emailed to us. And if you'd like to email us a question to possibly be read on the show, send it to momanddadatslate.com. And this question is being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I am a white woman and I am married to a black woman. We have a beautiful biracial eight-year-old daughter. We live in a suburb of a decently diverse city. Our suburb is known for its excellent schools and has many Asian students, but few black and brown kids. 
Recently, our daughter has talked to us about how much it bothers her that no one else in her school looks like her. Some of the things she says are just heartbreaking. For example, she doesn't like the way she looks. She thinks of herself as white until she looks in the mirror and then remembers that she is different. She wants to know if it is possible to change the color of her skin. We talk about race a lot in our family and have always raised her to be proud of all of who she is. And so it's disheartening to find out that these negative messages about her blackness have crept in anyway. For the record, it's worth saying that she has a very supportive teacher, and as far as we can tell, she is not being exposed to any intentional overt racism at school. This does seem to be coming from an internal pressure to conform, rather than a specific act of discrimination. But that would be in keeping with our daughter's personality. Our first instinct was that we need to move. There certainly are schools in other communities where there would be many more black kids, and we would feel confident that she is getting an excellent education. But we have no way of knowing if the benefit of just being around more black kids would outweigh the certain upheaval that a move would bring. Not only the loss of her familiar school environment and all of the friends she's developed since kindergarten, but also the social support network that we as adults have developed. It's also not lost on me that, as a biracial kid, she has a different experience than either my wife or I have had. We could put her in a predominantly black school, and she could make friends with only white kids. She could feel different from everyone else because her skin is lighter than everyone else. She could experience discrimination because she has two moms, which thankfully has not been the case in our current community. We just have no way of knowing how this will go, but we certainly know how stressful moving can be. This just is not in the parenting handbook. What would you do? Thanks. Well, <laughs> where do I start? I know exactly where I'll start. I'm going to start with the sentence that I highlighted. She could still feel different from everyone else because her skin is lighter than everyone else's. Mm. This is in reference to putting your daughter in a predominantly black school. Now, I, I don't know what your daughter looks like, letter writer, but biracial black and put a pin in that because we're going to talk about why I use those two words together. There are a lot of different varieties, right? There are a lot of different looks. The actress Halle Berry is biracial. Honestly, as a lifelong Black woman, I would not have ever assumed that she was biracial unless she told me. I would not have looked at her and guessed that. I would have thought she's a light-complexioned Black woman. I have two Black parents. One of them is biracial. I am slightly lighter than she is. I'm regularly mistaken for a biracial person, as is my daughter, who has two Black parents. Barack Obama would not be identified as a biracial Black person unless he explained to you his background. You wouldn't look at him and, and say, oh, you must be biracial. There are a lot of light-skinned Black people, even in the hood, where there isn't as much interracial dating and race mixing that's happening right then and there. Most Black people in this country, particularly those that are African-American, have white blood in us. So we come in a lot of different colors. Now, it's possible that your daughter is very light complexion and perhaps she has light colored hair and light colored eyes and would immediately make someone think that she was biracial or could be what folks describe as quote unquote racially ambiguous and that she looks like she's not white, but she could be from somewhere else. However, let me tell you about how light skin and loosely textured hair and light eyes functions in the black community. It is quite often a form of social capital. It is highly unlikely 
in most environments where you have a lot of black kids, that somebody will be taunted for being lighter. That's how colorism functions. So girls in particular who look like they're mixed, who may be mixed, oftentimes are told that they're prettier than other girls or treated as if they're prettier than other girls. And I'm not saying that's the sort of social capital you should want for your child, but I want you to please lose the idea that being biracial would necessarily make life more difficult for her if she were surrounded by black kids. Now, are there challenges that she could have as a biracial kid who's thrown into her first all black school environment? Absolutely. But it has a lot more to do with how she's been socialized up until this point and, and how much of a relationship she's been able to develop with other black children, which I personally think is an incredibly important thing for any kid. At this age, at eight years old, to have had friendships, meaningful relationships and and constant exposure to children who look like them, to have her in a community where she's an anomaly for so many reasons means that there are going to be some challenges around identity and, and fitting in with people who are like her and people who are not like her. And I don't think that that's fair, personally. I understand that you want to nurture and protect the relationships that she's developed with children since kindergarten. I can say as someone who just moved an almost seven-year-old across the country away from the friends from preschool and pre-K and in kindergarten, yes, it's difficult. It's, It's a big change. However, your child has said that it bothers her that no one else in her school looks like her. She didn't say simply, Oh, you know, I I wish that I had blonde hair, which you are saying she also has said she doesn't like the way that she looks and she thinks of herself as a white child until she looks in the mirror. And, and, And could there be something that she could do to change the color of her skin, which again tells me that she can't be that light complexion that she's showing up in a black school environment and, and passing. So not only is she unhappy with the way she looks, Because she's surrounded by people who look so different, and I also don't know how you and your partner look or if she favors you more than her Black mother or if she favors her Black mother more, but she sees that there's a difference between her and the majority of her friends and one of her mothers, and she's unhappy with that. And she says that it bothers her that there aren't kids who look like her in school. Please, letter writer, if you take a look at last week's Karen Feeding contribution from me, There are a number of books and articles that I linked to that are about this topic because we had another uh, white mother of a biracial child with a similar issue. Um, One of the books that I recommended is Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Daniel Tatum. And it's a really important, widely used text that looks at how kids develop their racial identity and, and what that looks like in school. And there's particular attention paid to what that looks like for black children in school and what that looks like for black biracial children in school. And I think it's, you know, she's a kid. She's spending the majority of her time in a classroom. Right. You could say we live in the suburb of a diverse city. We can find a Saturday activity. We can do something after school. You know, there are other ways to find her in community with black kids. And that's great. 
But she's saying that she's uncomfortable about not seeing people who look like her in school. So she's already going to see that the faces of achievement and the faces of beauty and the faces of athletic ability and, and, and who's the smartest and, and who are the teachers that are guiding these kids more often than not. All these people that she's both seeking affirmation from and looking to as examples of how to function in the world, the majority of them are white. I don't think it's enough that she has a black parent. I think she deserves to have other black children, particularly black girls around her. You know, studies have shown that socially black girls don't do as well in primarily white educational environments as black boys do. Black boys, I I think for a number of uh, reasons that we don't necessarily get off into represent a cool factor. You know, that this person, maybe we want to be his friend. We want to hang out with him. Where Black girls can be isolated by both the Black boys and the white kids in those environments. She needs homegirls. She needs Black homegirls. They can be biracial. They can have two Black parents. They can be adopted into a family with two white dads. Whatever it looks like, she needs to be in community with little Black girls. And I think that saying, is it worth it? just to be around more Black kids. What I don't think you've taken time to really consider is what being in the minority often does for Black people. It's more than simply saying, oh, she's the type of kid who naturally would want to conform because she wants to be a good girl. She wants to get along with everyone. This is more than saying, hey, I'm a K-pop stan, but all the kids in my school are really into Ariana Grande, so I'm going to bump her record and act like she's my favorite artist, but I'd really rather be listening to K-pop. This is about who she is as a person. This is about her truly understanding what it means to be a member of a marginalized group and not just the pain of it and and the disappointment and, and the neglect and possible ostracization socially or being called out by teachers or feeling like if you get a question wrong, now the black kids are dumb and now they know black kids are dumb. Having to explain her culture while also having to explain and and talk perhaps about having two mothers. She's got a lot to answer up to, a a lot to grapple with at eight years old. And I don't say that, you know, to imply that there's something, you know, radical or, or wrong about there being two women raising a daughter. What's radical and wrong to me is how comfortable parents of all races are with throwing black and brown kids and Asian kids into environments where there's no one like them and thinking that because this is a better school, this is the best environment. Look at what academic outcomes are in your area for black children, not just for kids. You can't compare her to somebody who looks like the teacher, who looks like the principal, who looks like the the soccer team. How are black kids faring at this school? And she's not happy. She needs to be happy. Okay, I'm done ranting for now. What do you think, Rebecca? (laughs) I would like to draw a big fat underline over every single thing that you said. And in addition, you know, there's another layer here. You know, you're like very polite to not bring it up in some ways. But how super weird white people are to black biracial kids. It's like there is Mm -hmm. especially like in, in mostly, you know, white communities, there is this sort of weird fetishization Fetish, is yeah. that the right like would that be an appropriate yep. way to say it of Absolutely. Uh, and and that's not good it's not good it's not good to be singled out for any reason if you're anyone and i the other thing that i want to say is if i have one regret in my career as a parent in my parenting life 
it's that my kids didn't go to a diverse school. That's my one regret. I went to an incredibly diverse school. It wasn't just better for the people of color around me to be at a school where a lot of people looked like them. It's also better for white people to be around a lot of people of color. It's better for everyone. There's a a playing field leveling. There's a worldview setting experience that you cannot get when you're at a school in an environment that mostly looks one way. Now, it's very, very easy to come up with excuses why, you know, your your kids kind of mm-hmm. are where they are. You know, my excuse would be, hey, this is where I live. I got divorced. There was a parenting plan in place that stipulated we had to live in this place and we weren't allowed to move, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll tell you, my kids are absolutely aware and unhappy with the lack of diversity in their own experience uh, living here and growing up here. It's it's unhealthy for a variety of reasons. And, you know, they talked a great deal about how, you know, the very few black kids in their school especially are treated in a way that it's easy to say there's no overt discrimination except how they are singled out is overt discrimination Mm -hmm. in that it is fetishization and it's not good and it's weird. And it's also overt discrimination, even when it doesn't look and sound and feel that way from like the dictionary definition of that. So I do think I agree with Jamila that there might be other opportunities, you know, for your daughter to have black friends in other, you know, kinds of groups and other kinds of classes. But I also hear what she's saying, and she is saying she is unhappy in the environment she's in. And I think that you've ascribed some of her um, view of herself uh, and her self-image, you know, to something internal inside of her. But there is no way, there's no way that a huge part of that is also not coming from the fact that when kids look around, they see the world around them. There is not a mirror in front of their face all the time. And she looks in the mirror and she sees something different than what she sees. And that is probably fueling the stuff that she's talking about and the stuff that she's feeling and the stuff that she's saying about the color of her own skin. So, yeah, I mean, I lean on the side of moving. I really do, changing school districts. But, you know, if there's some compelling reason why you can't, I Definitely think it is critical for you to get your daughter into as many places as you possibly can where she's having a meaningful and deep and not passing interaction with black kids. And as Jamila said, black girls in particular. Thank you for that, Rebecca. Um, And thank you, letter writer. Good luck to you. We're always happy to hear an update. And if you want to send another email and tell me where you live, I'd be glad to do some research and help you find some black schools in the area. Mom and dad at slate.com and just put Jamila's going to help me find black schools in my community (laughs) (laughs) in the subject line. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, question number two. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My newborn is six weeks old, and I'll be going back to work part-time in a month. I feel very lucky that my friend and neighbor, who is an amazing progressive stay-at-home mom, has offered to take care of my daughter when I'm at work. Her youngest is now in preschool, so she's looking forward to having a baby part-time. I'm looking for advice on navigating the details of the arrangement. 
She says she's uncomfortable taking money from me, and I'm uncomfortable not paying her, both because she'll be doing me a great service, and because without any formal arrangement, I'm worried I might not be able to count on her. I don't have any reason to think she's not accountable. She's a very kind, considerate person, in my experience. It's just a big commitment, and I need to know I will have childcare when I need to leave for work, and some advance notice if she won't be available. We've talked about most of this, but she's very casual about the money. I don't feel comfortable paying her less than minimum wage. What thoughts do you all have on this arrangement? I would so prefer to have my baby with her than at a daycare, and I really feel comfortable with her. It's so hard to talk about money with friends. Thanks. What do you think? Well, I think it would be criminal for you to not pay a person who is taking care of your baby when you're at work or at any other time, uh, unless it's a, you know, quid pro quo. Sometimes I take care of your kid situation and there's like a lot of equity there. So first off, the one thing about this email that stuck out to me and that I think you need to think about is the I want to make sure she doesn't let me down portion of the arrangement because mm-hmm. the bottom line is if you guys are friends and she's also your child care provider because that's what you're talking about here um, you have to just be cool with the fact that sometimes she is going to let you down and she might be sick or she might have something else to do and you do need to come up with a backup plan for that and you do need to decide if you're going to go forward with this arrangement that you're not going to like let that dictate the terms of whether or not you still are friends with this person. That's what makes this tricky. So you have to really draw some firm lines around what the business part of the arrangement is. Part of that is there will be times, even with a paid child care provider, you know, who's somebody in their home who has a license and who has a small daycare, there are going to be occasional times where that arrangement lets you down. That's just the fact of childcare in the world. And I just don't want you to set yourself up uh, for failure here by thinking that like, you know, whatever the number of workdays is a year, 180, 200 and something workdays that like every single time this is going to happen without fail and there's never going to be a glitch because there will be. Um, As to the money part, you didn't give us a ton of information, so I'm just going to make a couple of assumptions. One assumption is that you can afford childcare, and you are choosing this option rather than another option, which you would be paying for. So what I would do with this friend and neighbor is I would be insistent. I would say, this is a service that has value, and I'm going to be paying for it anyway, and I would like to pay you this set amount of money per week, whatever you decide to set, I don't know how many hours it is, you know, $200, $300, whatever you would kind of be paying somewhere else. What you do with that money, friend and neighbor, is up to you. You want to throw it in a 529 for your own kid and just like pretend I'm not paying you. That's cool. You want to like, you know, squirrel it away in a suitcase under your mattress and just like pretend it's not happening. That's okay. But it is important for me to pay for something of value because it wouldn't be right not to. You're providing me with like a tremendous service. This is something that I can't, you know, kind of live my life without and go back to work without. And it wouldn't be fair to not pay you for this labor that is in fact labor, even though it's sort of set up as like this fun thing, but taking care of a baby is not always fun. It wouldn't be fair for me to have you do this if I weren't paying you roughly the same as I would be paying somebody down the street to do it. So yes, I'm going to pay you. It's not negotiable, 
But of course, whatever you choose to do with the money after it leaves my hands and enters yours is up to you. And if you're really uncomfortable with it, then please feel free to squirrel it in a 529 uh, college savings plan for your kids. But I do have other questions about this arrangement. Um, Aside from the money part, I actually think that's the easy part. The main question I would start with, which isn't about money, is like I said before, defining the transactional business relationship. Make no mistake, that is what this is. And if you go into it with any other sense of what it is, it's not going to work out, probably. That's my advice to you. I 100% agree. Um, I think that even a formal agreement where there's a very low dollar amount paid, you just still feel that this person is clear. That this isn't just a favor that can be withdrawn because, oh, I overslept or, oh, I'm not feeling so great today and ah, it would just be a little bit better if I just didn't have to do this. You know, that this is something that she has to approach with the same um, seriousness that one would a job. And it's hard to do that when you're not getting paid. And maybe she just has the presence of character to show up for you in that way. But I think the more formal you make this agreement, the better. I'd also add that it would just be wise to have some sort of backup plan for both short-term and long-term care in mind already so that if something were to change with your agreement, that you're not starting from square one and, you know, Googling daycare in my area, but that you have an idea as to where your child could go that's in your price range um, and that they would be able to accommodate you. Um, it also would be good to have somebody on call for emergencies as well. You know, in an ideal world, daycare is affordable and this person is your emergency call. But because you have to rely on her in this way, you have to be prepared for the possibility that anything could happen. It could be a little bit more work than she was anticipating. She could find that she really just wants to have that time during the day to take a yoga class or do something that's, you know, all about her. And, you know, if she's the type of woman that she sounds like, then hopefully she'd give you, you know, a month's notice and say, I really love spending time with your little one, but I found that it doesn't really work for me anymore. And I'm so sorry, but I can't do this after, you know, next month. But that you are not waiting for that moment to happen before you have a plan in place to um, make sure your little one has somewhere to go when you go to work in case she's no longer available. So good luck to you all and congratulations on the little one and going back to work. I know how fun that could be. (laughs) So sending you lots of love and support. And if you have a question for us, other listeners, send us the questions at momanddadatslate.com. Okay, Rebecca, before we get out of here, it's time for recommendations. What do you have for us? Well, I don't mean to do such like a ham-fisted callback, but I would say... Get yourself a SoundCloud or other audio repository account on your smartphone and interview your kids and then save that audio in a place where you might forget you have it so that in eight or so years, you can surprise yourself with the gift of listening back to having them talk about, you know, you or your family or whatever it is you want them to talk to you about. I got to say, listening to the voices, I feel really bad because one of the things that I have relentlessly teased my mother about for the last decade or so is that her voicemail box is always full on her cell phone. And the reason it's full is because she's a message hoarder because she has kept voicemail messages from my kids and my nephews because she likes to hear their little voices when they're young and she like is thinking she wants to listen back to them someday. So one day a couple years ago, I 
asked her for her voicemail password and I went and I, re- I recorded all those voicemail messages for her. I downloaded them all, recorded them as like an MP3 and I sent her like a CD and then I also made her like an electronic file that I have in my Dropbox because I know that she's not going to, you know, be able to find it later. So I get it. Having found these recordings, mom, I'm sorry for making fun of you for all those years. I get it. It is a gift oh. to listen to your kids when they're little, uh, after they've gotten older and their voices have dropped 20 octaves, and just to sort of hear that they are still the same people, uh, that they have the same sort of sweetness, the same vocal tics, the same way of thinking about the world. It's a real gift. So use the voice recorder on your phone or the SoundCloud app or whatever it is you can get. Interview your kids. Put that audio away someplace that you will find it by accident in a decade or so. That's my recommendation. I love that. There are no videos of me as a kid. We didn't have, I mean, God, having a video camera back then was like a big yeah. thing. And they were know? huge, like they literally. Were, they were huge and expensive and like super involved and we just didn't have that. So the fact that I have videos from my daughter's life practically from day one is something that I'm really, really happy about. Um, so I think that's a great recommendation. It would be Awesome to go back and look at that when they're much larger. So um, keeping in that vein, there is a book that I purchased a couple of months ago. And I, as I often do with books and journals, I was really excited about it and then didn't quite get into it right away. And I bought two of them. They were very similar at once. And so we picked one up this week and it's My Quotable Kid, a parent's journal of unforgivable quotes. And it's the cutest thing. They have them on Amazon and you can also find them in those little, you know, Brooklyn-esque gift shops (laughs) that are like in every urban-ish community at this point where it's just like a lady in yoga pants and a tunic just selling mad stuff. <laughs> like, and you know exactly what store oh, I'm talking about. 100% I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's so many of them. It's like we've got artisanal honey and a couple of items of women's clothing and some candles and some books. And so I was at one of those stores, funny enough, somewhere out here in California uh, before we moved here and I bought it. And it's the coolest thing. And it's just like my daughter's always saying all these really interesting things. And I sometimes I put them down in my notes folder or whatever. But, you know, it's going to be great to go back and have this record of, you know, her being passive aggressive <laughs> and, and, and ridiculous. And, you know, it gives you a space when you're writing down all these quotes to say, you know, which one of your kids said it and where did it happen and how old were they? And, you know, keeping in the spirit of wanting to remember these moments when our children have facial hair and cars <laughs> and maybe kids of their own, that we can go back and look at those funny quotes when your child is 17 and, and has nothing funny at all for you <laughs> to say. I'm sure a 17-year-old has lots of funny things to say, right, Rebecca? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure that they but, would actually say that my worst qualities are, have not changed, that they said, like, sometimes she's late, she's kind of disorganized. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yes, so this book, uh, My Quotable Kid, or any other book that allows you to journal your kids' quotations, I think would be a really nice thing to buy this holiday season and to look back at over and over again as the years go on. All right, that's our show, you guys. If you have a question that you'd like to ask us on air, please leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at slate.com. And don't forget, join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. 
And for Rebecca, I am Jamila Lemieux. Have a great, great rest of your week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.